Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The approaching Sporting Weekend has so much to offer with football, Formula One, boxing and golf taking center stage. In football, Ghana's biggest football match is on the horizon. Juan Poku, what a chance to draw first block. What a chance to score a goal. Juan Poku turns around, hits the ball, and it's been saved by Richard Nata. Over for Jorge Mouk. Oh my God, this is the kind of drama we're looking for. And how well this has started. Allow the ball to roll. They came into Fatal Mohamed. It's back to Michel Sapon. Outside the penalty box of Kumasiya Sante. Got to go. Beautiful dribble. He still stays outside. He hit the pass. Back against to Fatal Mohamed. Long ball into the penalty box. Lovely touch. Man comes down. Referee goes for a penalty. Isaac Mensah lining up for this. Will this be the telling blow for Kumasiya Sante? Got to go. Razak Abalora dancing on his line. Well, the sunshine slightly going into the shade under the clouds. Can this be the time for the rainbow to appear? Isaac Mensah hits the ball right. Saved by Rosaka Ballara, and this is truly the game of games. Asante Kotoko hosts the Kwa Hatsavuk at the Bavaria Sports Stadium for the first time in four years. Kotoko are flying, but there's a lot of catching up to do for the Phobians. We have a complete review of Ghana Premier League match day 24 action ahead. In England, is the cops against the citizens. Phil Morris, here's Jesus with the chance, and Jesus has taken the chance. He's not been on long, he's done the job for Manchester City. Breakthrough. And here's Firmino, and he's Salah, and there's the opening goal. A little ejection, does it again. Corner, it's pulled out low. Gundogan, first time shot, takes a deflection. Manchester City have the second goal. Jurgen Klopp forces Pep Guardiola into checkmate as Liverpool and Manchester City battle for the biggest prize in England. It's a point separating the two and the stakes couldn't be any higher. We'll monitor the top four battle and relegation fight and preview games to come in England, Spain, Germany and Italy. Also coming up. And now you don't need patience because they're going to be racing to the checkered flag here and it's not like Verstappen can come back this is Leclerc. It. If Leclerc can't get this move done or can get this move done, out of the final corner, Max Verstappen emerges in front. Such a close battle once again. And this time around, it's Max Verstappen that wins out. He takes victory in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix and Charles Leclerc comes home in second place. Max Verstappen got the defense of his world title up and running with a victory at the previous race in Saudi Arabia. And now F1 returns to the Australian city of Melbourne for a third Grand Prix of the season. We have a full preview ahead. If you want to send us a message, we'd love to read them via social media accounts. George slash 99.7 on Facebook, 0551-111-997 on WhatsApp. Or you can tweet at us at GH. We'll be in Texas to preview Emmanuel Gameboy, Takeaway Games, Ryan Garcia and Adogasta to monitor the progress of five-time world major winner Tiger Woods as he continues his return to competitive golf. Time to talk about what the world is talking about in the world of sports. Hello from me, George Addy Jr. and welcome to The Locker Room. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr.
Thanks for staying with us and we'll begin on the pugilistic notes this evening because this man represents Ghana in Texas against Ryan Garcia. I'm fight big, big fight, but this one is special for me. That's why if you see my training camp, I think I have massive uh, management, I have massive training camp for this fight because I come here to prove myself with this fight. Everybody push me where I appreciate that. I hope Saturday night I go glory to them. What does that mean? You keep talking about he's not ready for Ghana Pepper. What's Ghana Pepper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That very day, I think everybody can see the Ghana Pepper. Ryan Garcia too, he see the Ghana Pepper. Sometimes, you know, if you walk outside, you get fresh air, you talk anyhow. But if you enter the ring, you start feeling heat. Now you see the pepper. I think that very night everybody can see. Hey, you're going to bring the heat, you're going to bring the pressure for Ryan Garcia. You see, I know everybody talk about Ryan Garcia. It's good, me too. I respect Ryan Garcia a lot. By Saturday night, it feels very bad. I, I promise you, I promise anyone. Former IBO lightweight champion, Ibano Game Boy Tega will fight. Former WBC interim champion, Ryan Garcia, tomorrow in San Francisco, Texas. After winning 31 of his 32 fights and recording 15 as knockouts, as well as suffering only one loss, Emmanuel Tego is craving for a push to the next stage of relevance in the sport. So what should we expect from him then? Joy Sports Boxing Specialist Nathaniel Lato joins me with some perspective. Thanks, that for your time on the show. So how big is this fight for Ghana's Emmanuel Tego considering he's been out for that long? Oh, George, you couldn't have put it any better. This show is a very big curve in his career. We're saying all of this considering the fact that um, he's also going in as the smaller you know, element uh, within uh, the big scheme of things. So this is obviously the sharpest curve in his career. If he's able to navigate it well, then what will be lying thereof will be a lot of opportunities. And of course, you know, his name blowing up more prominently within the world of boxing now um you know he's a former ibo champion when it comes to relevance in boxing winning the ibo title sure is only a start and considering that his opponent has also won the wbc interim title he'd want to step on the main title strap it and go on to achieve what the likes of george cambosas jr have achieved and so when you look at all of that and put all of that together then you know that the stakes for uh tegu are very very high he's very aware of that because in my conversations with him he's spoken about the fact that he's done what he needs to do here in ghana and on the local scene he's given too much proof of what he can do and this is the time when he needs to go out there and sound that bell to the rest of the world that listen there is an item called Emmanuel Tego on the menu and everybody has to look at that item and look at the ingredients that make up what we call Emmanuel Tego and that's exactly uh, the mission so um, it's very clear there's no uh, you know ambiguity about the the, 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 the the weight of the kind of platform that he finds himself on you know within the next 24 hours and that's what have you made of Tego's preparation based on what you know in the background is he ready I always want to look at preparation in threefold: the physical, spiritual, and mental. Now, we on our side tend to throw a lot of the focus on the physical training that we see and what we see when we go to the gym, when they get on the road, and you know when you know they they try to put everything together, you know, with their, their training team.
but it goes way beyond that there is that other aspect that we sometimes do not focus on now we all cannot sit back and boast of knowing you know the kinds of spiritual exercises that an Emmanuel Tego for instance will do or will go through to get himself sound and ready for a battle such as this but from what he tells me he is sound and he is good to go from what i read of his demeanor he is sound and good to go let's also talk about the mental toughness bit i believe that uh Emmanuel Tego relatively has shown a big big dose of confidence which he must be commended for because remember that he's going into an alamo dome in san antonio texas which originally picks sixty-five thousand fans i don't know how it's going to turn out on on the early hours of Sunday, but then we all do know that once it's 65,000 fans, 98% of those will be rooting for, uh, you know, Ryan Garcia. And so with that background, you'd need to have a great deal of confidence and psychological toughness. And I believe that Emmanuel Tego has it. He draws it from a couple of things. The fact that he knows the division, he knows the boxers. He's dealt with some of them on the sparring skill before. And that even includes, you know, George Cambosas Jr., who is the biggest item in the division now as a unified champion. So you put all of these together and you do realize that at least on the scale of um, what we see, it's good to go. Also, it's important to note that he's had a combined camp here in Ghana and in Florida as well. In Florida, he's worked in the sweat gym with a big name, um, Javier Centeno. Javier Centeno, interestingly, happens to be the trainer of, uh, you know, George Cambosos Jr. And, you know, he's brought all of that skill, all of that knowledge and all of that experience to bear on Emmanuel Tego's preparations for all of this. Now, so on the basis of that, I would like to say that Emmanuel Tego is sound, sound for this battle. It is a very big battle. There's no doubt about that in all aspects, but he is sound based on what you're, you're able to read of, of, of his demeanor. And this is in the build up to, uh, you know, this very big uh, bout. So Tego is ready in terms of getting ready for this bout he sure is ready remember that this bout should have come up come off a little earlier than regular and um according to what tego tells us you know uh, rian garcia rejected the first time you know swerved him a little bit uh, a few other names also swerved him and uh, tried to avoid a fight with him and now it's here and he's super excited to have it at this time Ryan garcia not many outside the boxing world know him how can he hit game boy tego in the ring Rian Garcia from the camp of the legendary Oscar de la Hoya through his Golden Boy promotions is one of the brands that is seen as those for the future. After 21 bouts, he's recorded 18 knockouts, he's undefeated and it can't be any better. He has shown remarkable skill in the ring and he is looking very, very good for the future. So for an outfit like Golden Boy promotions, he definitely is one face for the future. Now, the thought around all of this is that he should be an heir. You know, he's an, he's an heir to the very big throne of unifying the weight division. One uh, title or one enviable crown that is now held by George Cambosas Jr. So that is what it is. And that's the reality. Let's also remember that this bout is all about him. Um, Obviously, the main item on the bill will be the Triple G bout. However, this is 
like a co-main feature and obviously it's going to get a lot of hurt uh, a lot of heads to turn because um you know there's a lot of heavy focus on the lightweight division the welterweight division and the heavyweight division as well you know in the middleweight division of course uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez is there and is uh, making his very big exploits of course that uh you know the main bout itself with Triple G is also a middleweight bout but the point is that Ryan Garcia is gradually carving his path to what he wants to see as greatness and what his team want to make into greatness and so he's a very big item that nobody can overlook and this bout is all about him let's remember that the bout is called the return and it's Ryan Garcia's return and this is after obviously the uh, hiatus that he had because he had to go and deal with uh, you know a mental health episode so that is him and we have to respect him for the space he occupies Tego may have better fight experience than he does but in terms of the pedigree in terms of the brand he is the man and so he has to be given his credit for that so not time for your prediction it's all tricky we know but that's why we leave that to you you are the specialist who's winning this for you <laughs> george you and i have been doing this for some time now so i know i know uh, you know, the telepathy has always been there. So I do know that this is how we're going to wrap it up. Okay. Very, very tricky. You've said it already. Very, very tricky. And so I would want to hazard this and say it should be something along the lines of a 50-50 or a 55-45. Now, I do not expect um, Emmanuel Tego to have an easy bout or to, to win easily it's going to come tough if he has to win this bout and it's going to be won based on points um now for ryan garcia as well if there should be a win then it should not come via a knockout i do not expect it to come via a knockout based on what i've seen or what i know of the two boxes i expect this to go the distance and I expect some good entertainment for the fans. But he who will win will win via points and not the knockout. That is what I, I see happening based on all the analysis that have, have been that has been done. Um, where it tilts towards, honestly, it could be anybody's bout tomorrow. It could be anybody's bout tomorrow. And this is yet another day where it becomes very difficult to, uh, you know, and I also want to rely on the words of Emmanuel Tego. I mean, he's charging all of us, especially those of us who have seen him, why we are not having the belief in him. Okay, well, maybe he has to use this one as the stepping stone. Um, he says that he doesn't watch any of his opponents. He doesn't watch any tapes of his opponents because anything can happen in the ring. I believe that that is also, um, you know, a fair strategy. But as to whether that is going to work tomorrow, it's a very big deal. Um, let's see how all of it goes, George. That's all I can say. Thanks, Nats, for your time on the show. And we look forward to the bout. Formula One next. It's lights out and away we go. Perez does get away well. Comes over to cover off Leclerc. Carlos Sainz is forced to the outside. Max Verstappen getting keen on the inside and with Carlos Sainz. But Perez leads him through the first corner. From Leclerc, Verstappen getting past Carlos Sainz. Hamilton ahead of the fast-starting Williams. It's Perez now ahead of Charles Leclerc. Then comes Max Verstappen. And now you don't need patience because they're going to be racing to the checkered flag here. And it's not like Verstappen can come back. This is Leclerc. It. If Leclerc can't get this move done or can 
can get this move done. Out of the final corner, Max Verstappen emerges in front. Such a close battle once again. And this time around, it's Max Verstappen that wins out. He takes victory in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And Charles Leclerc comes home in second place. Max Verstappen got the defense of his world title up and running with a victory at the previous race in Saudi Arabia. And now F1 returns to the Australian city of Melbourne for a third Grand Prix of the season. An intriguing battle is emerging between Verstappen and Ferrari Charles Leclerc, who won the season opener in Bahrain and pushed the Red Bull driver all the way under the floodlights in Jeddah. Ferrari's Carlos Sainz was also strong in third, holding off Red Bull's Sergio Perez, who had qualified in pole position. Defending constructors, champions, Mercedes, meanwhile, will be hoping for a change in fortunes after George Russell finished fifth in Saudi Arabia and Lewis Hamilton a disappointing 10th. Raymond Yamada joins me uh, for a quick preview. Thank you very much, Raymond. Mercedes and Hamilton especially have had a complex start to the season, but usually in a two-week break, which we have just experienced, teams spend some time making adjustments and improvements to their cars. So can we expect Hamilton and Mercedes at the top of the grid this weekend? Well, at the start of the season, Toto Wolff did admit that it was going to be very difficult for Mercedes to compete in the early season races because they knew that they didn't have enough time to build this new 2022 car because of their performance or their insistence on dominating in 2021. I think that that was a big challenge for them because they spent a lot of time competing for the championship. That didn't give them enough time to build this 2022 car. And so it's been a problem under the new FIA rules. Um, the 2021 car was definitely going to be way different from the 2022 car. And so Mercedes did have that problem. Right from preseason, we could tell that Mercedes had issues. That said, I think that some major changes are supposed to be expected. Uh, we are expecting some major updates to the hardware of the car. Now, we are expecting a new rear wing uh, this weekend and also we are expecting some changes to the floor. Now, this has been occasioned because of um, the aerodynamic issues of the Mercedes chassis. Now, you look at the fact that Paul Poussin has been one of the major headaches of most of the cars on the circuit this season. And it's, it's, it's been missing from our vocabularies in the last 40 years, but it's back now because of the return of ground effect. Now, most of the cars this this, uh, this season are heavy on downforce. And when we talk about pole pushing, we are looking at that violent bouncing on the suspension when the car is at high speed. The drivers do feel this. And we're also talking about the fact that, you know, pole pushing makes it impossible for cars to generate a lot of underbody downforce. Now, this said, yeah, I think that, you know, Mercedes have identified this problem. And they've also identified that the closer the car gets to the ground, uh, the more powerful the ground effect. And so air rushes out faster through the shrinking gaps. That's been a major problem. And so it's occasioned some modifications to the floor as well. Now, looking at what's going to happen this weekend, we're expecting that Mercedes should be able to improve on their performance from the last two races we saw. Now, once that's done, it would be at least a step in the right direction for Mercedes because research is still going on to find a way to properly deal with this problem once and for all. I think that a lot have suggested that a complete redesign of the floor is required just to be able to deal with this pop-pushing problem and to be able to you know, take advantage of the ground effect issues and all. I think that that would be Mercedes' problem. Now, to ask if Mercedes can go into this weekend's race and dominate because of the modifications they've done to the W13 car, it's going to be too early to ask Mercedes to perform that way or to perform like a championship-winning team because 
You look at the pace of Mercedes, you look at the pace of Ferrari, you look at the pace of Red Bull, and Mercedes are a bit way off. So it will take some time. Definitely we'll see some improved performance from Russell, from uh, Lewis Hamilton, and from the Mercedes car. But it will take some time for them to complete the changes that need to be completed on the W13 car. And so um, I think that um, we may have to give Mercedes some more time. We definitely will see some improvement this weekend. But that W13 chances... It's not the finished article yet. It's not the finished product yet. And we may have to give Mercedes at least um, the next three or four races to be able to unlock the full potential of their new car. Ferrari have been stellar so far this year, reintroducing themselves as the team we historically know them to be. But what has been working for them? Charles Leclerc narrowly missed P1 in Saudi Arabia after dwelling with Verstappen in the season's first race in Bahrain. Surely we can expect more of the same this weekend, can't we? Well, it's almost looking like a two-horse race at the start of the season with Ferrari and Red Bull pulling all the strings on the circuit. I think that it's just two races into the season and uh, Ferrari, for most part, I think that um, after 45 races, uh, they finally won in Bahrain and it took them some time to actually get things going. For two years, Ferrari were almost anonymous as far as Formula 1 was concerned. But they were arguing that once the new FI regulations were going to kick in in 2022. They would be ready for the new season. And that was going to be the game changer for their engine. And I think that without doubt, uh, they've done a lot of work at uh, Maranello trying to uh, be up to speed or, you know, come up to speed with what's happening on the circuit. They've been phenomenal this season. They've been excellent this season. And coupled with the performance of Leclerc and Sainz, I think that they've been explosive on the circuit. Now, you talk about the fact that, you know, on the DRS, on the streets, uh, they have a good straight line speed and all. I think that a lot has been working right for them. And you, you would say they are benefiting from that fallow period that they had, where they spent a lot of time, you know, working on that power unit, uh, working on, you know, setting up the car for pace and setting up the car for downfalls when necessary. I think that you would only expect more from them this weekend. And we saw that battle in Saudi Arabia, where Charles Leclerc went toe-to-toe with Max Verstappen before he finally uh, lost the race. I think that, um, for most part, I think Ferrari were in full control of that race. And the, 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 the pace was good. The driving was intelligent. The strategy from the team was good. And I think that um, full credit to Team Ferrari. They've actually done well. And you, you don't talk about just Ferrari. You also talk about Team Haas and Alfa Romeo. Suddenly, you talk about Team Haas picking points. And Kevin Magnussen has been fantastic. He's picked up some fantastic points for them already. You also talk about Valtteri Bottas and another engine made by Ferrari also performing. I think that, you know, it's been a complete performance from Team Ferrari. And you can only expect Ferrari to do more this weekend. I think that the challenge is going to be, 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 be massive. Um, you, you, you expect that on that Melbourne circuit, you know, uh, at Albert Park, definitely um, that, that, that circuit is going to give them a push, especially with the modifications to that track. I think it's going to give them a push. But knowing very well how Ferrari have also enjoyed some good spells on that circuit with the likes of um, Sebastian Vettel winning for them a few years ago. I still think that um, Ferrari would look good value to dominating this race as well. They are good this season. And thanks to the brilliance of the team at Maranello, they've actually put that Ferrari chassis into an unbeatable car and it's left to be seen what Red Bull would also bring along this weekend but I think that uh, from what we've seen from Ferrari they look good value uh, early days but they look good value to win in this championship In all of Charles Leclerc's brilliance so far Carlos Sainz has been an added advantage to Ferrari as they will have desired and despite both Red Bull drivers recording DNFs at Bahrain they were right back in the mix in Saudi Arabia that brings me to George Russell then, Raymond. What have you made of him in his debut year with Mercedes? Well, George, I think that when you look at the performance of 
the two cars ahead of Mercedes. You talk about Red Bull and you talk about um, Ferrari. They have very fantastic drivers, drivers who have dovetailed each other perfectly. They've complemented the efforts perfectly. Leclerc, you know, getting things done with uh, Checo. Uh, you also look at uh, Carlos Sainz also, you know, getting in there with Charles Leclerc, uh, complementing his efforts very well. I think that, you know, if anybody told you that George Russell, after two races, was going to be six points ahead of Lewis Hamilton, you would have doubted that at the, end of, at the start of the season. But that said, I think that he's given a good account of himself. He's not, you know, capitulated in races. He's not given off worse performances. He's looked like a solid driver in a, very, in, a, in a car that doesn't seem to be firing from all cylinders. I think that that has been his challenge. Same way Lewis Hamilton has also struggled to use the car you know, to its maximum potential. I think that, uh, without doubt, he's not disappointed. He's not made things difficult for Team Mercedes as far as competing for um, wins are concerned or competing for the podium. You can see him giving it that push. But for the fact that Mercedes are struggling with their engine uh, or they're struggling with their aerodynamics and all, I think that he would have given a better account of himself. But that said, I still think that he started the season very well. 22 points after two races, uh, currently leading... You know, the main driver for Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, by six points. I think that there's more to come from this young chap. And once Mercedes are able to get out of the woods, once they're able to sort out their car problems, once they're able to sort out the issues and start firing from all cylinders, I think that we are going to see him also complement the efforts of Lewis Hamilton, just like the way the likes of Checo helping out Max Verstappen or the likes of Carlos Sainz helping out Charles Leclerc. I think that all these drivers can win races on their own, on their day. And so I think that George Russell, so far, has been so good for him. Uh, he's not really, you know, put out performances there that would, you know, send the jury out on him. I think that once Mercedes are able to sort out their issues, we would see the best from George Russell driving alongside Lewis Hamilton. So I think that, you know, really, uh, George Russell... It's getting there. He would get there. And we should expect the best from him in the course of the season. All right, Raymond. We know that Albert Park has undergone some changes ahead of this race. Talk us through those changes and the sort of excitement for the fans and challenge for the drivers. Well, George, it's interesting. Formula 1 returns to the Albert Park circuit um, after 1,121 days. That's an interesting one. Uh, Since 2019, we've not seen a race in Melbourne. But I think that a lot has been done. A lot has been changed on that circuit to make it a bit more competitive. Now, you look at the fact that um, this circuit has been reworked in such a way that qualifying speed should be over the average of 150 uh, kilometers per hour. You know, that used to be the average mark, but we are going to see it go above that for the first time in 1996. Now, we have a new asphalt overlay that itself has forced Pirelli to actually introduce no compounds ahead of this weekend's race because they are expecting the cars to be quicker on that circuit and also we are expecting a lot more overtaking. And so, you know, that C5 compound has been introduced this season. But that said, I think that we've seen an improvement on the opening apex at certain corners. You know, we've seen the tightening of others. We've seen the removal of some corners, especially the nine. Uh, We've seen, you know, the removal of some corners. Uh, we've seen the adding of the fourth DRS zone. You know, we are going to see a fourth DRS zone in Melbourne this weekend. That's Formula One's first. And so, um, you know, since we started using DRS in 2011, uh, this is the first time we are going to see four DRS zones in a race. And that in itself has been, you know, developed fantastically. I think that you look at some of the major changes. You look at that 10-1, where the corner entry has been widened by 2.5 meters uh, just to create more racing lines into the tents. You know, you also talk about, you know, down that T2 where, you know, 
some portion has been sliced off, you know, some four meters has been sliced off that T310. Um, the inside has been sliced off uh, with an eye of improving the chances of pulling off an overtake. Uh, and you also talk about, you know, T6, where the biggest changes on the circuits are, where we've seen, you know, uh, seven meters added to the corner um, just to make sure that um, cars are allowed to actually travel at a faster speed of 70 kilometers per hour. Uh, that in itself is one of the major changes uh, that's key at 10.6. Uh, I think that, you know, all of these changes have been done to make the racing more enjoyable, to make it, you know, more pleasing to the eye and make it very fast because we are expecting that um, lap time would be reduced by some five seconds because of the new changes that have been introduced by you know the owners of the circuit now you look at 10 9 and 10 where the chicken has been removed and you also talk about the fact that you know that new GR zone has also been introduced all of these you know have made it possible for us to see an enjoyable race uh, to see more overtaking on the circuit and so uh, with all of these changes done uh, with, especially with that you know fourth DRS zone added I think that you know we can expect a lot from uh, the cars that normally rely on the DRS uh, where you have the likes of Max Verstappen and um, Charlie Clare going head to head again like we saw in Saudi Arabia I think that uh, it's supposed to make the racing exciting and we should expect an exciting race at the Albert Park circuit this weekend. It promises to be exciting and it won't fail to deliver uh, based on the new changes that have been done to the Melbourne Park circuit. And finally, Raymond, who are your favourites for podium finishes? Big weekend for the drivers on the circuit this weekend. Uh, Melbourne Park promises to be exciting. A lot of drivers would have to now pay attention exactly in practice to what the circuit offers and that itself you know makes it very tricky it makes it unpredictable who can actually win this one or who would actually finish on the podium because it's almost like all drivers are going to be on a new circuit and so it will take time for them to adapt to the new circuit in practice and so what happens in practice will be very crucial now we talk about qualifying and you know we look at the likes of Perez we look at Max Verstappen Leclerc Carlos Sainz all these drivers have never finished in pole position in Melbourne and so this for them would be a big big challenge uh, Lewis Hamilton interestingly uh, shares a joint record with Aitin Seda and Ma- uh, Michael Schumacher as having won the most pole positions in Melbourne but this season I don't know if Lewis Hamilton can you know get back into the history books and pull the chestnut out of the blazing fire going to be very difficult for him because you know in his last six races he's actually finished in pole position and he'll be chasing number seven in this one but I think that's going to be very difficult for Mercedes with all their problems with their chances we're going to see an improvement definitely but we may not see them dominate races like they did when they were winning the championship and so you quickly look at um, Red Bull and Red Bull will be driving on a circuit that needs a lot of high uh, that has that needs high downforce and uh, we know Red Bull to be very good when it comes to downforce and looking at the performance of Red Bull in Saudi I think that we can expect more of the same from Red Bull and Max Verstappen so it looks like um, despite the fact that um, Ferrari may set up for a lot of pace and with the new streets the new DRS uh, the addition to the new DRS and some of the corners being changed to make sure we have a lot of speed and also have a lot of overtaking on the circuit we're going to see another head-to-head or another toe-to-toe between Ferrari and Red Bull. We are going to see Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen have a go at each other. Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez would also be in there in the thick of things. And so we're definitely going to see possibly this race tilt slightly in favor of 
um, Team Red Bull because of the high downforce requirements of this particular circuit. Definitely much more high downforce than the Jeddah circuit. And so I promise this to be exciting. I think that this is one race that Red Bull finally can win. I think that Red Bull have not won uh, in Melbourne. And so for the first time, they would expect their driver to go out there and be competitive and get the job done for them. I think that Ferrari may come in second and possibly claim the other spot in second place because of the pace of the car. And so I'm expecting Red Bull to dominate this weekend. For Mercedes, I'm expecting them to be um, get some good points in the course of the race, get some good points, finish in a very respectable position. I think that, again, it will be damage limitation for Mercedes as far as this race is concerned. But you can expect Red Bull and Ferrari to dominate this one. And let's not forget that Ferrari themselves um, have won here the most times, uh, together with McLaren, they shared a record of winning 12 times on this circuit. And so, with that at the back of their minds, they would also be expecting uh, some magic on the circuit this weekend. But I think that Red Bull may come a bit too strong for them this weekend. But in the course of the season, I think that we may just see things play out um, a bit more competitively and make it a bit more difficult to predict who's going to finish on the podium. And so, George, for me, I think we are going to expect um, Verstappen to win this one, Leclerc to follow second, and possibly um, I'm expecting Carlos Sainz to finish third or possibly um, Chico uh, to get into the podium finishing there. Thank you very much, Raymond. We'll be watching when the Australian Grand Prix begins. Live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. Football next, and we begin with a fiesta expected in Kumasi on Sunday. Kwampoku with a chance to draw first blood, with a chance to score a goal. Kwampoku turns around, hits the ball, and it's been saved by Richard Natal. Over Kwampoku, the ball, oh my word, this is the kind of drama we're looking for. Allow the ball to roll. They came into Fatal Mohammed. It's back to Michel Sapon. Outside the penalty box of Kumasi Asante. Beautiful dribble. He still stays outside. He hit the pass. Back again to Fatal Mohammed. Long ball into the penalty box. There. Lovely touch. Man comes down. Referee calls for a penalty. Isaac Mensah lining up for this. Will this be the telling blow for Kumasi Asante? Razak Abalora dancing on his line. Well, the sunshine slightly going into the shade under the clouds. Can this be the time for the rainbow to appear? Isaac Mensah hits the ball right. Saved by Rosaka Ballara, and this is truly the game of games. The Barbera Sports Stadium will host the super clash between Asante Kotoko and Hartsburg for the first time in four years. The stadium was not available because of the renovation works, coupled with the Ghana Premier League stops and starts because of the number 12 investigative piece by Anas Oremeyao Anas. Sunday, however, presents a huge opportunity for fans to watch the biggest fixture on Ghana's football calendar. In their bid to honor the big event, the National Sports Authority is following through with their promise to continue with e-ticketing after the pilot in the Black Stars Nigeria game. Anyway, though, uh, my colleague Stephen Zando is in Kumasi with Love Affirm and has details ahead of this one. Good to have you, Steve. Barakotoko have a very good home record. Hearts have been very faulty on the road, but the Phobians have had the upper hand over Kotoko in this season's two games already. A game of margins on Sunday, but who takes this one for you? 
Yes, in terms of the record between these two giants, especially at the Babayara Sports Stadium, a crowd of has the edge over the Pokupais. Look, I mean, the last time Kotoko beat Azofoki in Kumasi at the Babayara Sports Stadium was in 2012, um, when Kotoko won that game by two goals to one. Even in that game, it was a last-minute equaliser by Michael Akufo that gave Kotoko the win on that day. So it's been 10 years, and Kotoko are here to triumph over Hasefuk at their favourite uh, Babayara. In the most recent game between these two, uh, April 2018, Hasefuk won that game by one goal to nil. Patrick Razak getting the only goal in that game. So put these factors together in terms of the recent history. And I tell you what, Hasefuk will start this game with their chest high. But there's no doubt Asante Kotoko have been the best team in the Ghana Premier League this season. I mean, they are the side with the most goals scored, with fewer number of goals considered as well. So on the back of the performance of both teams this season, Kotoko start this game as the favorite on paper, but the narrative is something that I would recall that when it comes to matches between Asante Kotoko and Accra as a folk form guide, it doesn't really matter. Atugambela has had a very difficult time against Hart Savok, blanking in all the games against the defending champions, but the Cameroonian has been brilliant. You know, has had that brilliant streak going on at the Babayara Sports Stadium. So definitely Richard Atta has a difficult game coming on Sunday, right? Well, I think Frank Ebela Etuaga has been the live wire of Asante Kotoko in the current campaign. The entire team has scored 35 goals in the league and 15 of these goals have come from the Cameroonian international. That's a shade away from 50% of the goals. And so, Etuaga is someone who will really be targeted by Hasefuk in this particular game. But I have to put this across that Etuaga has scored 13 of his goals at the Babaya Sports Stadium this season. This certainly should send Chavez down the spine of Richard Atta, who is the goalkeeper of Akraza who certainly will come face to face with the best striker in the league so far and so i am expecting a very busy night for the black stars goalkeeper on sunday what would a win for kumasi asante kotoko on the super class mean for the title chances then well i think aside the fact that this is a battle of supremacy asante kotoko would definitely want to win this game to shatter hearts of folks you know fading ambition of defending the ghana premier league title they won last year as we speak Kotoko has 13 points clear of Akraz of Okusit sit on the league log and so a win for the Pokopines will rather stretch um, the lead between Asofuk and Kotoko to 16 points and with 10 matches you know after this weekend's round of games to end the current campaign I don't think Asofuk will have any chance of recovering to stage a challenge of defending their title but for Kotoko they have Adriana Stas and Bichem United to worry about because they are a bit closer to them on the league table but even with that the points build up is quite quite wide. So yes, a win for Kotoko on Sunday will brighten their chances of winning the league trophy for the first time in almost eight years. And uh, what are the chances of Kumasi Asante Kotoko going into the game without Ismail Abdul Ghaniu? Well, the absence of Ismail Ghaniu will be a big blow because I tell you what, Ghaniu has been the best centre-back for the team in recent times and so his absence will definitely affect the team on Sunday. Now, the last time out at the Babayawa Sports Stadium, Dr. Prosper Gumnati pushed midfielder Justice Blay to the centre-back position in the local derby against Kim Fraser Football Club. Blay on the day was a bit okay for me, but that was Kim Fraser. This is a crowd of folk and the stakes are high. The atmosphere is way too different and with the likes of experience uh, met for the Suleiman Tari and Patrick Razak who has tormented Kotoko in recent times on board for Accra as a folk. Coach Dr. Prosper Gumnate will be reeling over the absence of their leader Ismail Ghaniu in this particular game. Hearts are 13 points behind Kotoko. Do they still stand a chance to defend the title with a win on Sunday? Well, like I indicated earlier, after Sunday, we'll be left with 10 matches to end the 2021-22 league season. 
and if Hasafok win on Sunday, they will only cut the lead between themselves and Kotoko to 10 points. But what about the other teams? Eliana Stars, Bechem United, who are in the mix. Eliana Stars will be away at Olympics while Bechem United host Bibiani Gold Stars. So yes, Hasafok may win this game, but these contenders may win their games as well, and that will make the chase quite interesting. Judging from, you know, the performance of Hasafok in this season's league, even a win against Asante Kotoko on Sunday will not change my mind that, you know, the defending champions are out of the title race. They can win that big game against Kotoko because that's, that's, that's a different game and because, you know, they have fared well against the Pokopines in recent times, they may have the psychological edge to win. But this game, for me, is not really about the title race because I don't see Hasafuk challenging the league trophy this season. So then, let's check out the games expected on March 24 of the Ghana Premier League. Here's Harina Mubarak with a wrap. Bechem United will battle it out with Bibiani Gold Stars for the maximum points at the Nanafosu Jabo Park. Bechem are one of the three clubs that are yet to lose at home in the Premier League this season. Now, despite being eight points adrift of top spot, the Hunters are not giving up and they need a win against the newcomers to keep their title hopes alive. Ashanti Gold and Wafa will go head-to-head at the Lenclay Stadium. The Obuasi-based team are having a disappointing season as they sit in 13th with a whopping 21 points behind leaders Asante Kotoko. It has become almost impossible to leapfrog the porcupines, but a respectable position is within their reach. Accra Lions will welcome Kerala United to the Accra Sports Stadium as they seek to return to winning ways. Also at the same venue, Great Olympics take on Eduana Stars. Elsewhere in Brecum, Legon Cities will pay a friendly visit to Brecum Chelsea. Both sides are separated by just three points on the league log. Dreams FC take on 11 Wonders with Elmina Sharks also engaging Kim Faisal at home. While Sharks are unlikely to avoid the drop this season, Kim Faisal are currently on a five-game losing stretch in the top flight. After winning their last game, Real Samali United will hope to stay on a winning note when they travel to play Midiama in Takwa. Thanks, Haruna, for your time. It is now time to go for the Joy Sports BBC two-way series. Great insight, as always, from the BBC's John Bennett. Enjoy this. We're back with more. Thanks, John, for your time on the show. We'll go into the weekend's games, but let's start with the Champions League. Nightmare for Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea, taking a two-goal deficit to the Santiago Bernabeu next week, Tuesday. What can Chelsea do differently, Madrid? Hi, George. Yeah, I know as a Chelsea fan yourself, it would have been difficult to, to watch that performance the other night at Stamford Bridge, but what a performance by Karim Benzema. He is in the form of his life, isn't he? 34 years old, and he seems to be getting better with age. What do Chelsea need to do differently? Well, it sounds easy, doesn't it? But they have to cut out the mistakes and they have to be clinical. If they've been clinical in front of goal, if Romelu Lukaku, for example, had taken that chance, that header which went wide, then this tie would be a lot more open. I I still believe that Chelsea are still in it. Even though they're 3-1 down, even though away goals don't count double in this season's Champions League, I still believe that Chelsea have a chance going to the Bernabeu because you never quite know what Real Madrid you're going to get this season. 
listen, they've been very consistent in La Liga, but there have been a few blips along the way. For example, that 4-0 defeat in El Clasico, and I think that will give Chelsea a lot of hope. They have to go there and beat their very best Chelsea and hope that Real Madrid have an off day. The defensive errors that they've committed in the last two games against Brentford and against Real Madrid, they will be punished by the top players. They were punished by Christian Eriksen, they were punished by Karim Benzema, so they have to get rid of that. And yeah, it's about taking their chances and getting an early goal, I think. A goal before half-time is absolutely crucial when they go to the Bernabeu. They have to score the first goal in that second leg. Let's see what happens. Listen, don't forget how good Chelsea are. They're the defending European champions. They're not looking great since the international break, but there's still enough quality there to turn things around. Bayern Munich also got an undesirable result in Spain, totally outplayed by an impressive yet wasteful VRL. Surely that will raise questions about Julian Nagelsmann, but it's safe to say Unai Emery is doing some incredible work with the Yellow Submarines, right? Yeah, that was the performance of the week for me. Villarreal beating Bayern Munich 1-0. And it feels strange to say this, but Villarreal will be disappointed not to be going to Munich at least 3 or 4-0 up. It, it could easily have been 3 or 4-0. They were sensational, Villarreal. They scored with their first attack, Arno Danjuma, and then had chance after chance after chance. Francis Coquelin had a goal ruled out. Gerard Moreno hit the post. He also nearly lobbed the Bayern keeper Manuel Neuer from his own half. And Giovanni Lo Celso missed a brilliant chance late on. Bayern Munich hardly offered anything going forward. They hardly ever tested the Villarreal goalkeeper, despite having plenty of possession. But, but this is Bayern Munich. Remember in the last 16, they drew the first leg against Red Bull Salzburg 1-1, and they played poorly, and they were lucky to draw that game. Second leg, they won 7-1 against Red Bull Salzburg at home. So even though they're 1-0 down, I still think Bayern Munich are favourites. Going forward, though, in the Champions League, I have my concerns about Bayern Munich because Julian Nagelsmann's team, they, they give you a chance, even against Red Bull Salzburg in that 7-1 game. Red Bull Salzburg could have been 2-0 up in that match because they had two great chances that they wasted. Against the Liverpool, against the Manchester City, against the Real Madrid, Bayern Munich will be punished if they give away so many chances. So that's why I believe Bayern Munich won't win the Champions League this season. I just feel they're too open at the back and a Man City, a Liverpool or a Real Madrid will punish them. Manchester City managed to find a way through an overly defensive Atletico Madrid and now head to Spain with an advantage. Does that spell game over for Simeone's side? Not game over because we've seen Atletico Madrid pull off some magic results, haven't we, throughout the years uh, in the Champions League. Remember when they knocked out Pep Guardiola's uh, Bayern Munich back in 2016, but I think it's a massive task now for Atletico Madrid. But listen, they, they have the players who, who can score. They have João Felix, Antoine Griezmann, Luis Suarez on the bench as well. So there's a lot of scoring power in that Atletico Madrid team. But Manchester City, don't get me wrong, are huge favourites. The fact that Atletico Madrid at some point will have to come out and try and attack will leave a lot more space at the back, the space that wasn't there in the first leg when it was almost a 5-5-0 formation from Atletico Madrid. So you think that Manchester City will win it comfortably. You just wonder, though, the longer it stays nil-nil in that second leg, if there's a set piece, for example, or if Atletico Madrid are a lot more ruthless on the break than they were in the first leg, then maybe there's a chance for Diego Simeone's side. But I think that Manchester City will, will have belief that they, they can go through. And at times, they just look unplayable, Manchester City. And I'm not sure other teams can reproduce that type of defensive display 
that Atletico Madrid produced because it just takes one slip up and we saw that 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 Foden through ball to De Bruyne one one bit of weakness at the back one moment when you take your eye off the ball and you get punished if you play like that and Atletico Madrid in the end although it took 69 minutes were punished yeah and I think Manchester City will go through but definitely won't be easy in that second leg Let's talk about Crystal Palace now, John. Uh, Patrick Vieira has got off to a very sweeting start at the Selhurst Park. They are up to ninth on the table ahead of Leicester. Definitely the Crystal Palace bosses had to believe Vieira could produce before they hired him. But but surely this wasn't the start they envisioned, I imagine. Yeah, what a job Patrick Vieira is doing. And you're alluding to it in the question. I think there were doubts when he took over. Uh, Doubts possibly even at the club because... I don't think he was their first choice. I might be proved wrong on that, but I don't think he was their first choice. And also in the in the media, there were pundits saying that this this could go seriously wrong because Patrick Vieira was taking over from Roy Hodgson, who'd done done a brilliant job with a very clear defensive way of playing. And in, in ripping that up or trying to add a bit of attacking flair to it, would you be taking away that that defensive solidity and possibly putting the club in relegation danger? Well, it's been the opposite of that. He's taken Patrick Vieira, what Roy Hodgson did. He's built on those foundations and is really added to it. They're, they're really good to watch. And remember, he's done it with, with a new defensive line as well, Anderson and Gurhi. He's got three players into the England squad from the Crystal Palace team. Gurhi, Mitchell and Gallagher are now England players. He's getting the best out of certain players like Mateta, who was struggling, like Jordan Ayew, who's playing really well at the moment. And Wilfred Zahar as well seems to be blossoming under Patrick Vieira's leadership. So he's, he's done a brilliant job, hasn't he, Patrick Vieira? I hope it continues as well. And is he proving, Patrick Vieira, that he deserves a chance? Not in the short term, because I think he's still got um, ambitions at Crystal Palace. But possibly in the long term, Patrick Vieira should be considered for, for jobs at the top end of the Premier League, in, in the top six, even the top four. John, how far can Crystal Palace take this then? And talk about Jordan Ayew as well. What's the feeling like among supporters towards the Ghanaian forward after he scored his second goal of the season? Well, this season, I think they'll be very happy with a, a top-half finish, safe top-half finish. Next season, will they want to, to build on that and possibly start thinking that they can challenge for, for the top six? It's a very tall order. You've got so many teams challenging for that, for that top six. Teams on the fringes like... West Ham, like Leicester City, like Wolverhampton Wanderers, so they'd be adding themselves to that. And also, there will be problems with recruitment. I think there will be there will be teams sniffing around their key players, and of course, probably their best player this season has been Conor Gallagher, and he's only on loan from Chelsea, so he won't be there next season. So, a tough job ahead for, for Patrick Vieira next season. You'd back him to, to do well, though. As for, for Jordan Ayew, yeah, I was really relieved that he got that goal because I think that's the one thing that is lacking from his game. I, I think when you talk to Crystal Palace fans, they are frustrated he doesn't get more goals, but they respect his work ethic and the job he does defensively. This is often work that, that isn't seen by fans, but is seen by managers. And Jordan Ayew is one of those one of those players who is loved by his teammates because they respect the work ethic. And I think He's been at Crystal Palace a long time now, so the Crystal Palace fans recognise this. Just how much work Jordan Ayew puts in during a game. I know that's uh, what you'd expect from all players to put in that work, but for an attacking player, he's very unselfish. Defensively, he does the dirty work and he, he pops up every now and then with a really good goal. So let's hope he gets his goal ratio up, but I think the Crystal Palace fans have a lot of respect for Jordan Ayew. 
Everton lost their sixth match in seven league games under Lampard uh, after defeat of Burnley at Tep Moore. And this weekend, they come up against Manchester United, looking to re-enter the top four. Is it more misery for Lampard? Well, it's a competition for the fans to have the most misery, isn't it? Everton fans or Manchester United fans? You never know what you're going to get from Manchester United. I thought they were really poor last weekend against Leicester City. Leicester City should have won the game. They were unlucky not to win the game. They had a goal ruled out for VAR, which on another day possibly could have been given and it would have been a 2-1 win. So Manchester United are poor, but still, I think that they are favourites against Everton. It was fascinating, wasn't it, that Burnley game in midweek? And what Sean Dyche, the Burnley boss, said afterwards, he said to he said afterwards in the interviews that at half-time he told his players... I don't think this Everton team knows how to win away from home. <laughs> and that was proved to be the case. They were 2-1 up and ended up losing 3-2. Frank Lampard, I, I don't think he knew what he was walking into here. I, I think there's something seriously wrong behind the scenes from top to bottom at Everton. And they are in big, big danger. The one saving grace for them is that possibly there are three teams even worse than them in the Premier League. But this weekend, Burnley play Norwich, and you'd expect them to beat Norwich, and you'd probably expect Manchester United to beat Everton. So by the end of the weekend, Everton could could well be in that bottom three. And John, there's a big one. England's two best teams in the last four to five years clash at the Tehad, with only one point separating them. Are we set for a repeat of the 2019 game? Who do you see taking this one? Yeah, this is the one we've all been waiting for, isn't it, George? It's one match clearly dominating the agenda in the Premier League, the top two meeting. And the way this is being talked about, it feels like the most eagerly anticipated fixture for, for many years in the Premier League. 14 points was the gap at one stage. Manchester City were ahead. Now it's just one point. That There'll be seven games left to play after this. But still, it feels like a defining, defining moment in the title race. I think probably... Liverpool have got the tougher run in after it, so maybe the onus is on them to try to win the game. But these are two teams who will, you know, they never go into a game not trying to win the game. So I think it's going to be an end-to-end match. Both in amazing form. Liverpool have taken 31 points from their last 36 available. City have won 17 of the last 20 Premier League games. They had confidence-boosting games in the Champions League in midweek. Often these games, they disappoint, don't they, when we look forward to them so much. The last time they met, though, it was 2-2. It was a, a real thriller, and I expect the same. I expect both of them to, to really go for it. There'll be quieter periods during the game when they kind of cancel each other out, <laughs> accidentally almost. But at times, I, I do think we'll get an end-to-end game and an absolute thriller. As for the score, you're going to accuse me of sitting on the fence, George, but I do think it's going to be another draw. I could see it being 1-1 or 2-2, and that title race would still be keeping us interested for the next seven games. Thank you very much, John, for your time on the show. And we have great games to come in England. Chelsea are up against Southampton. Everton play against Manchester United. Arsenal face Brighton. In Spain, Real Madrid are up against Etafi. Mallorca will play against Atleti. We know Barcelona as well in the mix. In Italy, Inter Milan are up against Kiev Verona. Cagliari play against Juventus. In Germany, Bayern Munich play against Augsburg. And Grütherford will play against Dortmund. In France, Rem up against Rennes. And we've got Clement Foot up against Paris Saint-Germain. That's about it for our show this evening. A big thank you to all of you who joined us. We'll be giving you all the updates, plus the live commentary of the game involving Manchester City and Liverpool on the Sunday Sports Arena. Do join us for that. My name is George Adi Jr. It's been great coming away. Till we meet next week for another lovely edition of the show. Be good.
Thanks for listening to The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. The podcast will be available online at myjoyonline.com in 30 minutes. This production was powered by Joy Sports and supported by the BBC World Service. is at it again. And when I say this, you know I mean buy quality for less. Yes, it is the EGL Easter promotion with appearances from the best brands in the world like Toshiba, Media, Samsung, Nasco and many more. Oh yeah, this Easter, with as little as 1,499, you can grab yourself a 32-inch Samsung television. With 1,849 Ghana cities, grab yourself a media freezer this Easter. And it don't stop, it's a wide range of Nasco products. With 1,999, grab yourself a Nasco AC Alpha 10 Gas. Are we 2,299? Grab yourself a Toshiba single door fridge. This Easter Toshiba washing machine start at 2,599. It's the Easter. Yes, it is and many more. It's EGL Easter promo. Love. I love you so much, and I will love you like no one has before. Will you marry me? Hatred. Look at Anna. She's always doing well. And